This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit, in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest, and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott and Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest hosts and presenters, the former governor of Mississippi, Phil Bryant, and the Honorable Morris McTeague, QSO. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. Welcome to America's Roundtable. Good morning, it's Saturday, and welcome to America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. And this weekend on America's Roundtable, we're delighted and honored to welcome once again Mayor Oded Rivivi from Israel. He has served as Mayor of Efrat since 2008, and from 2016 to 2020, Mayor Oded Rivivi was also Chief Foreign Envoy of the Yesha Council, acting as the political representative of the Israeli settlement movement to the international community. He served in the Israel Defense Forces, the IDF, and retired after 25 years in the reserve service as a lieutenant colonel in the tank corps. And as mayor of Efrat, the population has grown by over 60%, making him one of the most effective leaders in the history of the Yesha Council. And the Yesha Council is the official representative organization for the over 406,000 Israelis residing in Judea and Samaria. And Mayor Oded Revivi is a great proponent in strengthening the rule of law in the West and advocating for a decentralized approach to accountable governance, a noteworthy principle that America's founding generation insisted on as well. And without further delay, welcome Mayor Oded Revivi. It's great to have you back on America's Roundtable. Good morning, sir. Welcome, Mayor. Thank you, Natasha. And uh, it's really my greatest appreciation to be invited to take part in this uh, important program. And it's always uh, an excitement and enjoyable uh, meeting. So let's see what you have for me today. Thank you so much for joining us today. Mayor Revivi, after decades of failed policies, President Trump and U.S. Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, achieved amazing historic accomplishments including declaring Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, as required by the Jerusalem Embassy Act of 1995, which has been postponed by presidential waivers in the meantime, then moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, recognizing Israel's sovereignty over Golan Heights, and signing of the Abraham Accords between Israel, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, and Sudan, among others. As a result of the Abraham Accords, Israel and United Arab Emirates signed the Free Trade Agreement on May 31, 2022. Emir Revivi, what are your thoughts about the current status of the Abraham Accords and the Biden administration's role in encouraging further partnerships and collaboration among Israel and Arab states? Well, I think we have to start with what you've mentioned, which, you know, this week there were, there were the celebrations of the 4th of July, and why I was invited by the American ambassador to Israel to the celebrations that took place in Jerusalem. And if you would have said that a few years ago, everybody would have raised an eyebrow and would say that was never going to happen. And here we had a, an administration that went 
in a way, against a lot of the predictions and advice that they got. And they decided to ignore what was proven at the end of the day, false warning, that to move the embassy to Jerusalem didn't create any riots anywhere in the world. Proceeding with the Abraham Accord, with negotiation with Arab countries, which in the past boycotted Israel until the Palestinian issue will be resolved. And all of a sudden, we see that these Arab states are queuing in line in order to sign these agreements with Israel, to strengthen the relationship with Israel, and also to strengthen the relationship with the United States. And by that, they've proven that the accusations in the past about Israel being against, acting against international law, betraying different agreements, they were all only excuses which were good for that time. And when they saw that there is a very bright and big light at the end of the tunnel that they can reach if they just ignore those false accusations from the past, then they can make their situation better. And the Biden administration, slightly being afraid of being too, how shall I say, positive about the achievements that the Trump administration achieved, for the first few months they uh, thought that they could change the name of the Abraham Accord to something different, that it won't have any fingerprints of the previous administration. They thought that they can ignore it. But at the end of the day, what we see is that the strength of those bottom-up agreements of people to people, the understanding that what is being done on the ground is the truth and the real truth and the promise for success, even the Biden administration went back to the old terminology of the Abraham Accord. The president is due in a few days to Israel to try and promote these issues. And we see that that is really the strongest power that's moving this region forward. Mayor Oded Revivi, Natasha and I recall our several visits to Judea and Samaria and the heartland of Israel as we know it. And in the areas we visited, for example, Ariel up in the Shamron region, and also your beautiful city of Ephrat in the Gush Etzion region along the Jerusalem-Hebron Highway on the beautiful mountains of Judea surrounded by great vineyards. And one of the things that we appreciated when we visited with you in your office in Ephrat is your bottom-up approach, nurturing and deepening Ephrat's relationships with neighboring Palestinian villages and directly engaging Arab community leaders. And certainly there are times when tensions have escalated, and we have certainly noticed how your strategic and principled approach has secured important breakthroughs. Could you kindly take our listeners into Ephrat in the Judea-Samaria region and explain how your strategic work and efforts on the ground are working, and what do you see as solutions to these very complex problems when we witness a Palestinian authority which is seemingly hostile at times and mired in corruption and the more hostile Hamas in the Gaza Strip and the Palestinian educational system promoting greater hatred toward Israel's? What are the solutions that you are seeing that you are advancing when facing these very complex issues on the ground? Well, I, I wish the answer was so simple as the question, and I wish we would have had more time to try and elaborate and really discuss the different options. But trying to put it in a nutshell, I think when we explore any conflict around the world, uh, we see that almost always there is a small extreme, loud, sometimes violent, and sometimes with a financial interest, an extreme minority who has an interest that the conflict will go on and carry on. The media 
usually pays attention to those loud voices because those are the ones who create the headlines. On the other side, you have a large, sane, silent majority, which usually doesn't get noticed, usually doesn't get seen. We usually ignore the large, sane, silent majority because it doesn't even vocal its voice. So you're unaware where is the majority lying and what are their opinions. When we have those terror attacks, they're painful, they're bloody, they hurt, and they call for a lot of anger. But you have to put it in proportion. And remember that on the vast majority of the days, there are people living one alongside the other. When you go into our local supermarket, you will see that Jews and Arabs go into the supermarket, the same supermarket, through the same entrance, walk up and down the same aisles, pick the products that they want to choose, put it in their cot and take it to the cashier and pay with the same currency and go back home to feed their kids. Absolutely no difference. And when you see that reality, you understand that there's something more powerful going on. Now, there are those who believe that if we raise defenses, we will be more secure. But I hold a different approach. I think that when we have fences, we create a sense of security, but we don't really know what's happening on the other side of the fence. So we become afraid of what's developing on the other side. If you really want to build a strong and meaningful relationship, you have to invest in bridges between the two different types of people, between the two different communities, and to try and get one alongside the other to get to, to know one another. And then it will be easier to live one alongside the other. If I want to answer your question, what do we need to do in order to promote it? We need to try and find ways how we strengthen the large, sane, silent majority. And how do we make sure that the small, extreme, loud, violent minority is put in place and doesn't jeopardize reality for the majority of the people? Mayor Revivi, Israel announced new parliamentary elections for October 2022. And these are fifth parliamentary elections in less than four years. A regular parliamentary elections happen every four to five years with members of parliament, in this case Israel's Knesset, being able to perform their legislative duties to pass laws uninterrupted. On the other side, this development also shows Israel's vibrant democracy in action. Uh, Mayor Revivi, could you kindly share with our listeners your thoughts about these frequent Israel's elections and what kind of a coalition government would be best for Israel at this stage from economic and security point of view? That's an amazing follow-up question regarding the previous question, and you'll see in a minute why. Basically, uh, already Churchill has said uh, that democracy is a system full of faults, but they, we haven't found a better one. And we see all around the world how it is absolutely becoming more and more difficult to govern with a democratic system. You see how people with different views, different opinions, are not satisfied with the fact that they can actually have the freedom of speech or freedom of vote. If the government that they want is not the one that's being elected, they're upset into different levels of different levels of protest up until they recognize or don't recognize the results of elections. Unlike the United States, where you don't have a coalition government, but if we look around the world, 
strong democracies like England, like Italy, like France, are having a very challenging time how to form a coalition that is strong enough to actually govern and rule for the period of time that they were actually elected into office. Part of the reason is that the extreme voices, which are usually at the ends, which are representing a small minority, they get a disproportionate power because you need them in order to form the coalition. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself with a right or left coalition based on extremists who don't even allow the coalition that has formed to act in a working order. So my dream in Israel, which you might laugh in the United States, was I wish we would have had a system that we could have three parties in power. And then you would have like the power really based on big, strong parties, which are not subject to small extremists. But then they tell me, even if we would have had three parties and one would have 59 members of Knesset and the other one would have also 59 members of Knesset, the party with two members of Knesset would have had just as much power as the party with 59 members of Knesset. That's not our reality. We have sometimes in elections more than 30 parties running to be elected. They don't all get elected. But in an average term, we have about 10 parties which form a parliament of 120 seats. So my advice to people who listen to me is to try and vote for the big parties, to strengthen the big parties. And if they would be strong enough, maybe they would be able to centralize the coalition into a functioning organ and not being subject to being pulled to the sides, which basically puts the government in a dysfunctioning position. Mayor Oded Revivi, at the Jerusalem Leaders Summit events, we have focused on the significance of the rule of law. You spoke so eloquently at one of the summit events on strengthening the rule of law in the West. And Israel is really a beacon of the rule of law and democracy and democratic governance, not just only in the Middle East, but beyond the region. What is your message to countries and leaders in the region and beyond about how the rule of law, the protection of property rights, the functioning market economy has allowed Israel to flourish in a desert and transform the desert into a haven of growth and prosperity? This is another great example, and especially with the way you described it. Basically, back in 1994, there were a group of leaders, both from Israel, from the European Union, and from the, that time, the Palestinian people, who thought to themselves, how can they reach an agreement that will be more sustainable than all the peace negotiations that took place in the past? And they flew all the way to Oslo, and they sat around a round table, and they said to themselves, what is the most basic element of life that if we reach agreement, that can serve as the foundations for the peace agreement. And they came up with a very obvious answer that none of us can survive without water. 1994, in Israel, there was a shortage of water. We weren't allowed to water gardens. We weren't allowed to wash cars. Yet the Israeli delegation flying over to Oslo starts counting how many people will live in Israel, how many people will live in the Palestinian Authority, how much water there is in natural resources, and whatever came out as the missing figure, Israel will top up with water that we will supply for the Palestinian Authority. Why? In order to set the foundations for this peace agreement. I don't know what went through the head of the Israeli delegation because we had a shortage of water. At that time, the major discussion in Israel was if we're going to import water from Turkey, which was a completely different country, in under-ocean water pipes, 
or in big water tanks. But they were so eager to set the foundations for the peace agreement that they promised that water. The European Union, a minute before the agreement was signed, said, stop, just a second. We have heard that in Israel you've developed technology that you can take sewage water and purify it into a level of drinking water. You can even take seawater and turn it into drinking water. We, the European Union, are willing to fund for the Palestinian people to build those enterprises so they won't have any shortage of water. We are now 28 years further down the road. Efrat is bordering to the city of Bethlehem. If you would have come here today, literally just underneath my office, you would see kids sliding down water slides. You're seeing I'm sitting in my garden. You can see from the color of the things which are growing in my garden that there is no shortage of water. I usually ask people who come here, have they heard of global warming? And everybody says to me, yes, of course. And my answer to them is, we haven't heard of global warming. Not because we follow President Trump, because we have managed to interfere with an act of God. We take sewage water and purify it to a level of drinking water. We take seawater and turn it into drinking water. Israel is the only country in the world that the desert is actually growing smaller because we take all this purified water and we shift it down to the desert. So when you were explaining about this magnificent country which is flourishing, it's not just in the way you described it, it's literally what is happening in our desert. Now I said, Ephrat is bordering the city of Bethlehem. If you would also come today to the city of Bethlehem, you would have heard complaints about shortage of water. And they are right. They're not false accusations. They have a shortage of water. How is that possible? Two cities bordering one another, that one has no shortage of water and the other one has a shortage of water. And the answer is very simple. And this is where we get to the bottom line of your rule of law question. The money that the European community promised, according to the agreement, they kept their word according to the rule of law, according to the agreement that was signed. But it was transferred to the Palestinian Authority where their leaders basically took the money for other purposes, usually for their private purposes. We call that in a legal system corruption. So they didn't build those institutions which are the rule of law, which are supposed to maintain the framework in which we want to live, knowing what our rights and what our duties that didn't happen. And that brought the, the people who live in Bethlehem into a reality that they have a shortage of water. So if we want anything to flourish and to be successful, we have to take upon ourselves the certain rules and regulations, what we call the rule of law, that will make it sure and protect the rights of individuals, but also will allow actually the administrations to look after their people. When you don't have that as a beacon, you are not a beacon for anything. So Israel can be a beacon for its Supreme Court. Israel can be a beacon for what we have managed to grow in this holy land. But at the end of the day, it's all sitting on the same package called the rule of law. Right. Absolutely. A yeah. great response. And it certainly affirms what Israel is doing in such a significant way. And we're encouraging our listeners to definitely visit Israel because you don't understand the dynamic transformation that has taken place unless you visit 
the Jewish state of Israel. Another question on the rule of law, actually, we read your piece, your compelling piece that was published in February 2022, and it was titled, Pegasus Intelligence Capabilities Threaten State Security. Uh, bringing attention to intelligence gathering capabilities, government surveillance using spyware, and you said, and I quote, not only do they have the ability to listen, but they can collect SMS and WhatsApp messages, retrieve deleted materials, and more. End of quote. And Mayor Revivi, since Israel-based cybersecurity company NSO Group, which you mentioned in your article, created Pegasus, a number of countries have purchased it, and there were already major scandals with governments abusing this technology, including in Hungary. Amir Revivi, could you kindly share with us your findings and any new developments regarding Pegasus and especially your point of view from the rule of law position? So I think here we're really in a some sort of a dilemma as to where federal government administrations have to use power in order to protect the state, to protect uh, from threats coming outside and when, where they abuse those powers. And Pegasus, I have to admit, I'm not a great expert into where the investigations are leading. And in some way, it's gone underneath the radar. I presume that different people have an interest uh, to make sure that that is out of the picture. But it is an example of where sometimes people for money get confused. Developments that are extremely important for security purposes. Just think if in 9-11, we had those technologies and we could have got ahead a, a piece of information regarding the plans of those terrorists blowing up those airplanes and killing thousands of people, if we only knew of that beforehand, what the situation would have been. But when you take that technology and use it against individuals for purposes that the technology wasn't developed, it becomes very dangerous. And that's a very thin ice, a very thin line that if you don't have morals, if you don't believe in the rule of law, if you uh, prefer corruption and personal funds over. If we don't have those people with that set of morals, we can see that anybody can fall into being a, not one who believes in rule of law. And I think it's a, a lesson for all of us when we choose our leaders, when we choose our decision makers, what is the value of really what's important for them and how do they behave and what do they do? In this final question, next week on July 13 and 14, President Joe Biden will be visiting Israel. And leaders from Israel are pleased that he will be visiting the Jewish state of Israel and the region, including a summit visit to Saudi Arabia. However, there is a major issue which many in the region are very concerned about, and that is the fact of a Iran having nuclear capabilities, the Iran nuclear threat. And this past week, U.S. Special Envoy for Iran, Robert Malley, was quoted by the Voice of America, and the report states, I quote, Now, Tehran is much closer to having enough material for nuclear bomb, Malley said, though they do not appear to have resumed their weaponization program. But we are, of course, alarmed as are our partners about the progress that they've made in the enrichment field. Iran has highly enriched uranium on hand to make a bomb and could do so in a matter of weeks, he said, unquote.
Mayor Odette Revivi, how concerned are Israel's citizens and elected officials about the nuclear threat? And what should Americans be aware of regarding this clear and present danger that has the potential to create havoc in the region and beyond? So I think we need to split the answer between uh, the leaders and the people. I think definitely the leaders are exposed to much more information than what the people are. And therefore, the level of concern on the leadership level is way higher than what the concern of the private individuals. I, I tend to believe that the Iranian threat is way more severe uh, over the United States than over Israel. At the end of the day, Israel is a very small country. I don't know how many of your uh, listeners are aware. Israel is smaller than New Jersey. Is Iran going through all that effort to threaten Israel, or are they planning for something much bigger and much more influential or creating more damage? And here, unfortunately, uh, the new administration, uh, I think, was unclear at the beginning as to what line they want to take, what approach they want to take. Uh, we've seen these negotiations that didn't bring us anywhere. The Iranians kept on doing what they wanted, and the rest of the free world those that we believe obeyed the rule of law, uh, basically were speechless, were powerless against what the Iranians wanted to do. And when you read your quote and you, you said, we are following, they're going forward, yet they didn't uh, advance their, their weapons, you know, that's relying on people that have proven that they're ignoring us. So they're ignoring the free world. They're ignoring the United States. And if we are concerned that they will ignore us, again, we can't rely on what we see now because it just means that with a turn of a second or a, a push on a button, they can change the reality. And therefore, I think we need to take a way more affirmative approach against Iran with more severe sanctions, with more overlooking what's happening there in order to make sure that Afterwards, we won't cry that we weren't strong enough and bold enough when the time was really calling for that to happen. Mayor Oded Rivivi, we thank you so much for your leadership in Israel and beyond in addressing some of these key concerns and issues. And in fact, we look forward to joining you in Jerusalem and also hopefully in your beautiful city of Efrat in the days to come. Thank you, Mayor Oded Rivivi. Thank you so much, Mayor Oded Rivivi. Thank you, Natasha. And again, my condolences on the loss of your father and hope to see you in Israel soon. Looking forward to it. Thank, Thank you. you so much. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lanza Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Ladinsami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit and our distinguished guest hosts and presenters, the former governor of Mississippi, Phil Bryant, and the Honorable Morris McTeague, QSO. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.